uh, up and runs. Hits it. Righto. We'll go back to plan A. One, two. Look at that. Look at that. Just make sure that media player's off too in case you're playing a soundtrack in the background too. I do that sometimes. Can, some people have downloaded a sermon and got a lot of music at the start. Some of them have a bit of a media player still going. Leading into our um, talk today, yes, a great way to surrender all as we think about Refocus uh, 2019. And to kick that off, I was sitting um, in Doncaster, a Westfield shopping centre a few months ago. And uh, we were there before the Apple Store opened. I don't know if some of you guys may have been down there. And uh, I was looking at this uh, Apple Store. There's a whole bunch of people gathered outside all waiting to get in there and get their Apple fixed or whatever it is. And that's not fruit, by the way, so that's communication stuff. And before they did that, um, the team of the Apple staff were all in there actually like having a team meeting. And I'm assuming in that sort of thing, they're talking about the specials maybe of the day or the certain things they're going to target in that way. Um, And I'm thinking, well, really what they're doing, they're trying to get the team focused on the task ahead. They're trying to actually get this team organised before the people beat the doors down and come into the Apple shop. Um, Let's get focused here on what we're doing for the day at hand. And that's exactly what we want to do today, is to think about uh, 2019 and focus. We want to refocus ourselves uh, what we are about as Exchange Church. And we're going to do it over a couple of weeks, actually. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, go to uh, Philippians. And we're going to read a passage uh, from verse 19. <coughs> Sorry, to verse 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Uh, Lord, thank you today that we can come and gather and thank you, Lord, for uh, the light of your word that uh, Jesus has brought into this world and the spirit now illuminates for us. We pray today the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate uh, the truth 
of the purpose of why Exchange Church is here for 2019 and 2020 and beyond. Uh, We pray today you'll help us again to refocus and get clear in our hearts and our minds uh, why we are here, how we are going to get there, and what will drive us on to carry out the vision. Uh, Lord, we ask that now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, It's a good thing for us to have a refocus or a refresh of the mission and purpose for why Christians uh, come together to form a body or a church. I think it's good because it really helps us to unify our vision, what we're about. We're not all sort of all over the page or all over the shop. We've actually got a single vision that we're moving forward in. And this helps to serve us to see clearly where we're going as a church and why we do the things that we do. Because sometimes we can feel like we're wandering a little bit aimlessly and we're sort of not sure where we're going. So to bring this refocus, I think it really helps. When we have this uh, unity of purpose and unity of mission, it helps us to come together in a strengthened way as well. We feel stronger that we're all actually uh, rowing in the same boat and rowing in the same direction as it were. It uh, gives us confidence to stand shoulder to shoulder and move forward. Also, a refocus on mission and purpose is needful because if you're anything like me, we can be so easily forgetful about what we're here for how we're going to do it, and what's going to drive us to get there. We are prone to forgetfulness. Uh, That, unfortunately, is part of the brokenness of the sin within us. We just forget. You might read a really good book, and you'll get like a month down the track, and you can't remember much out of that book. Maybe just little snippets here and there. Uh, That's just how we are. So, we're going to address this today. What is the purpose and the mission of Exchange Church? How will we carry out this mission and purpose of Exchange Church? And what will drive the mission of exchange? And what's going to actually motivate us and to push us along as a church in this mission? First, what is the purpose and mission of Exchange Church? We have that byline you may have seen on the website or some of our material, we say it from time to time, uh, connecting people to Jesus and growing people in Jesus. That's a one-line picture of what exchange is about. Another way you possibly could say that is Exchange Church is about making disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. We want to connect people to Jesus and we want to grow people in Jesus. And you see, this is what every single Christian should be about. We should be about making disciples for Jesus Christ and His glory. We should be disciple-making disciples. That's what we are to do. Matthew 28, a very familiar passage. Uh, Jesus here gives the church its mandate and its mission, and it's from the lips of Jesus himself. And he says this in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, which is the disciples at this point, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, that's the disciples we're going to make, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands his disciples, the 12 that he possibly had then, to go and make more disciples. He says, go and make disciples. We too, at Exchange, are part of that command. It wasn't just for those guys back then. It's actually for us today no different. 
The Exchange Church is about disciple-making disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make other disciples. And these disciples do that so that we glorify Jesus Christ and make him look great through this disciple-making discipleship. Now, one question you might have there is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Jesus said, go make disciples, but what is a disciple? The word disciple there has the meaning of being a pupil or a student. So Jesus, in a sense, is saying, go and make students. Go and make pupils. Students in the situation, it's like a teacher-pupil relationship. Master-learner relationship sense. So Jesus is saying, go and make students or pupils, disciples of me. I'm the master, as in Jesus. Make students or pupils or disciples who learn from me, Jesus, to follow me all of their life with everything that they have. The student, if you think about this student-master sort of relationship here, uh, follows the master, takes on his belief, his cause and his actions and teachings. That's what a disciple does. It sort of follows this person who begins to become the master in their life. And it takes on um, that look. A really, really weak illustration of this. I'm not sure. Is anybody aware of Marie Kondo? Anybody heard that name? There's a few heads nodding. Some haven't, some have. Um, She's quite a large figure on social media at the moment. She's all about um, the guru of decluttering your life. You can go to this Marie Kondo and she'll just tell you how to organise your life and declutter. And people have just sort of latched onto her with all of her teachings and stuff on how to to declutter their life. So in a sense, people are becoming disciples of Marie Kondo. They're actually taking on her teachings and her belief and her cause to declutter life. That might work really well for some people. I could probably do a bit of decluttering around my desk from time to time. And I know probably some teenage boys maybe should look up Marie Kondo as well for their bedrooms, but that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And millions of people have actually got onto this Marie Kondo, and if you go to her Twitter account or other stuff, she's got stacks of followers now, and they're sort of like disciples taking on her teaching, cause, and belief. Now, that's not unusual today, is it? We, we do actually see that take place, not only Marie Kondo, but other people on social media. People seem to latch onto them and begin to take on their cause or their beliefs and actions and begin to follow them in that way. So too are we as disciples of Jesus. We are meant to take on his teachings, his beliefs and his cause as our true and sovereign master. This is the path of discipleship. Except that it comes with one really great glorious difference with what it may be to Marie Kondo or anybody else that Jesus is a truly a glorious master to serve. A significant difference. He creates with us a relationship of joy as our master. And as we get to know him and obey him, that joy grows and deepens as our master. It's a significant difference. There's no other relationship that will compare with it in the world as far as a master, uh, student, pupil, disciple relationship looks. It's a great difference. Now, the church seat doesn't have to make up this mission. It's there for us. Jesus has given that mission to us, as we just saw at Matthew 28. Every true church following Jesus Christ should be a disciple-making church. There is no other mission for the church. It filters down and looks in a number of ways down that, but the ultimate mission of every true church will be and should be the same. It should be a disciple-making church. 
If you're connected with another church that's not truly all about making disciples, or that's not its core value or core principle or core driving effect, well, I would suggest look for another church. Because that is the mission for the church. It's to make disciples. It's to go ahead and make disciples. So where does this discipleship start, as it were, when we are called to go out and make disciples? Where does it extend to? Well, firstly, it starts with us to become a disciple of Jesus ourselves, the individual. When we come to Christ, we don't come in twos and threes and sixes and tens. We actually come one by one. If you look at the, if you go back to Pilgrim's Progress, if some of you read that, when uh, when Pilgrim gets to um, the gate, the gate's very narrow. It's only fit for one person at a time. And that's how we come to Christ, one at a time. It starts with the individual. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ and his death for our sins and we turn away from that and now turn to living for him, that's where discipleship starts initially. It's individual, it's one. But then that discipleship then extends for us in the immediate effect to our immediate families. That's the next sphere of influence, as it were, that's closely related to us. It starts in our families. Disciples as individuals, but now disciples within our family. If you're the parents, your next mission field is directly children, if you have them. I want to make my children into disciples. And we use everything we can to do that. That's the next sphere of influence. It's, it's the immediate thing. And that just makes logical choice because they're the closest people to us. They're the ones we have these connections with. But it extends beyond that again. We don't just keep it as an individual and just their family because it's such good news about Jesus Christ. We want to extend that discipleship out. So we do. We extend it now to the world around about us. And we move into the next circles of influence that we may have. That could be our work, that could be our social clubs, that could be whatever. We actually have that next circle outside of our family. People who aren't followers of Jesus, that we now want to influence them in their lives to become disciples, to become students, to become teachers, to become learners from the perfect master himself in Jesus Christ. That extends out to there. So our mission for Exchange Church is that we are disciple-making disciples and we are doing this as an act of worship for the glory of God. Every true church should have that mission there. Disciple-making disciples. Starting with us, into our immediate context, which could be our family. If that's all disenfranchised, then you move out to the next context, into those circles that are closest to us, and we make disciples. Next thing we could ask ourselves, well, how will Exchange Church carry out that mission? When we talk exchange, we're talking the corporate body, but the corporate body is made up of individuals who form that body. So how will the individuals who make up Exchange Church carry out this mission of making disciples? How does it look? Remember what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who learns. A disciple is a student or a pupil. Someone who follows and practices what the master teaches him or her. So here at Exchange, and as individuals as well, we come alongside people to teach, train and help them to practically follow Jesus Christ, to commit their lives to him, as Dave sung in that last song, to surrender all to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. Because before coming to Jesus, a person who's outside of Christ at this time, this person has been saturated with a world that says, me first, me last and me in between. A world that tells me that this world is all about me 
and not about Jesus Christ. So then now we go through a lifelong process in discipleship of renewing our mind to think and act and speak like Christ. We need to be trained. We need to be renewed. This is what a disciple is, a student and a pupil of the master. And there's two points where this happens, and this is, I've got halfway through the preparation of this, and I thought, gee, there's probably two really good talks here. Connecting people to Jesus, growing people in Jesus. We're going to deal with growing people in Jesus. So growing a discipleship. Next week, we're going to talk about, well, what is the gospel? Okay, so make sure you come back next week. So we're talking about this week, growing people in Jesus. Deepening people in this discipleship. And there's four main ways that the Holy Spirit enables us to learn and grow as disciples. And these are the four means of God's grace, amongst many others, but these are the four main means of God's grace that he freely pours into our lives so that we can grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Here they are. First one. And you'll be no surprises here, so don't sort of think what's going on here. God's Word. The most important way to grow as a disciple is God's Word. That is the most important way. As I said, we live in this world where we are immersed in a place that isn't pointing us towards the Gospel. That isn't pointing us towards Jesus Christ. That isn't pointing us towards the truth of who He is. That's the world we live in. We're immersed in all these things that are telling us very little about God, often nothing at all about God. So our minds are constantly being filled with truly what they are, it's not going to make sense, truly lies, with lies about life. Just the fact that this world doesn't point us to say that life is all about Jesus Christ is already pointing us down a path of deception. Our minds continually soak all this up and it affects the way we think. And don't think it doesn't, because it does. If you constantly get your mind being, as it were, bombarded with messages or whatnot, it will affect the way you think. So, in steps the Bible. And it says this in John 17, 17, and Jesus' high priestly prayer. It says this, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, set them apart from this world, set them apart from the lies of this world, in the truth. What's the truth? Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. At exchange, we see as primary the teaching of the Bible to build strong disciples. It's primary. It's foundational. When you build a building, you've got to put really strong foundations in place and the foundations keep the structure upright. In our lives as disciples, those foundations must be made out of God's word. The truth of God's word helps us to identify the lies of this world because we sometimes get really confused by what the world tells us. The truth of God's word helps us to identify these lies and the deceptions of Satan and then to separate ourselves away from that. That's what God's word does in this sense. So we take every opportunity we can to open up God's word and teach it. That's exactly what we're doing today. We want to open the Bible up and allow God to speak to us in that way. And we want to do it through explanation, explaining what it's saying, and then application. So what does it mean for me today? This is written 2,000 years ago. It's timeless, but we need to think about how it applies today. So we open up God's Word to teach in explaining it, 
and applying it. Because we live in a contemporary culture that's a little bit different to where they were 2,000 years ago. And we do it at all levels and all generations. We've got kids meeting out there now that I'm probably talking like this and this is probably going to be sailing right over their head. And that's all right. Because they're young and they're growing and they're developing. So we do it in an age-appropriate way for small kids. They are still hearing about the gospel. They're still hearing about Jesus. They are still hearing God's word. Because we want to build those foundations deeply in their minds right from the beginning. And we do it again at a youth level as well. It's not much different to a Sunday morning, but slightly different context. So we do it at kids, and we also do it at youth, as we meet on every second Friday night. We actually bring the gospel into our hearts and talk about it, how it deals with youth at the stage of life where they're at. We open up God's word and let it do its work by explaining and applying. So we desire to work hard here at this. It's not easy to open the Bible up and sort of explain it and then apply it. So we want to work hard at doing that. Just a side note here as we think about this uh, refocus and teaching and training and uh, growing disciples in Jesus Christ. A side note is this, we never ever stop learning as a disciple. We never actually ever can say, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. It never happens. A, a disciple could never say, I've made it. Even in heaven, we will still never exhaust the knowledge of God. We will be forever, as it were, learning and seeing new facets and new wonders of God himself. And that will go on for and on and on and on. Because God is inexhaustible. If we ever got to a point where we could exhaust all the knowledge of God, he might possibly become boring. And I say that reverently, because I know that will never happen. God is inexhaustible. We will learn forever in eternity, and it will be joyful learning. We will never stop seeing the wonders and the glories of God, even in heaven. A disciple grows in God's word first and foremost. Second aspect where a disciple grows is in prayer is in prayer Acts 4.31 says this and when they had prayed take note, when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness now that would be a great prayer meeting to be in wouldn't it Probably would frighten us, I'd imagine. So I'm not quite exactly sure what that shaking means, but if we take it there, that they felt some sort of shaking in that room at that particular time. These early disciples, if you get the context of what's happening in Acts, were in a bit of trouble at this point. They were in a bit of trouble for preaching the name of Jesus. Uh, God comes to rescue them, and here they are praying for boldness to keep speaking this word, uh, speaking the word of Christ out boldly. So they're praying, God, please, please help us to speak this word out boldly. How does God respond? God responds by sending his spirit to come and grow these disciples. What with? With strength and boldness. With strength and boldness. So what does prayer do? Prayer grows us. Prayer really does. Prayer grows us as disciples. This is God's means of grace for disciples to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's through the discipline of prayer. They prayed back in Acts and God came with his spirit and filled them with courage and boldness. He grew them. So we at Exchange encourage all people in private prayer. And we'll say it again today. 
This is where God grows us, is in prayer. Not only in private prayer, we also gather to pray corporately, just like they are in the book of Acts. We meet here um, second and fourth Sundays of the month. We meet also on midweek prayer on one month of the week on Connection Grow Groups. We meet on Monday afternoons at our place for those who can get there then. We want to put plenty of opportunities in for corporate prayer as well. Why? Because that's where God grows us as disciples, in and through prayer. So we encourage that. We talk about that. We make opportunities for that because we want to see people grow. Third one is this. We practice and encourage community for growing disciples. We place a higher value on getting together as the community of believers to grow as disciples. We see um, connection in community, Sunday mornings, midweek groups, youth, whatever groups are happening, really important. Because in community, we grow. We won't go to this um, uh, uh, reading, but you can look it up yourself later on. Acts uh, chapter 2, 42, 47. There's a picture here of the believers, the community of disciples who were together... And when you see this uh, picture in Acts 2, 42, 47, they're growing in Christ as a community, in fellowship and in oneness. And they're doing this as a community of people. So community is really, really important. It's highly valued. It's God's means of grace for growing us as disciples in community as believers. The fourth one here is this. The fourth practice of growing as a disciple is our commitment to serve. God grows us through serving. We'll have this one up, Acts 20, 35. It says this, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Simply it's saying there, as we serve Jesus and each other, we grow. You might say, how can you see that there, Todd? Well, it says there, when we give, to give of, at this particular time, maybe helping out with some sort of resources, but we can give of our services, we can give of those boxes we tick on the back of that care information. As we give of those things, as we give, as we serve, there's a blessing. And part of that blessing is that we grow. We grow in Christ as we give it back the talents that he's given to us as an act of worship. He builds us in that. And in exchange, that's exactly why we want to put that second page in the sheet because we want to see people serve, not because we want to see jobs get done, because we want to see people receive a blessing in serving. And understand, this is where Christ grows. This is where the Spirit grows us as disciples as we contribute and serve with the gifts that we have. We um, grow in that. Now, we want to serve the community as well we're at as a church too. Uh, we, we are committed to doing acts of mercy as a worth through serving. We want to do that. As resources and, and people become available for this, we want to be um, a visible expression of Jesus Christ within the community serving. Now, I would love it if we were able to have our own building and maybe have a, a small mercy section somewhere so people who are... Um, you know, down and out or whatever, they need something to help out, we could do that. Now, in a rented premises, we just sort of can't do that. We can't sort of tag our trailer all around the place. But as resources happen, as people grow in that sense, 
I think as a church we'd love to do that, to be a visible expression of acts of mercy through our community. Because we want the people of Shepparton to see the reality of Jesus Christ working through us, through acts of mercy, which is a part of serving. And through that we grow. We grow as disciples, we grow as students, we grow as pupils, learning from the Master to become more like Him. Now you might sit there and say, Todd, there's no rocket science in any of that. You know, God's Word, prayer, community, service. Nothing sort of new there. You know, this is, you know, that's been around for centuries. Sometimes we are looking for the latest new thing, aren't we? That's probably the world we live in there. We're looking for some sort of cutting-edge discovery that will actually sort of short-circuit the path to uh, become a disciple. We're looking for a shortcut. How can I sort of get from A to B or A to Z without sort of going through the rest of the alphabet? It's not how it works in discipleship. There are no shortcuts. There are no short-circuits. What God does is put these things in place to follow us, uh, help grow us as disciples. Uh, Eugene Peterson has this quote. He says, Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. No shortcuts, no short circuits. These are the means that God has given for us as growth as a disciple. That if we apply ourselves to these things, God's word, prayer, community and serving, have a guess what will happen? You will grow. You will grow. There's nothing sort of secret or, as it were, magical about it. It's supernatural that takes place. You apply yourself to those things and you will grow. The church will grow. And we will thrive as the disciple of Christ and experience his joy as we apply ourselves to God's means of grace. So our mission is disciple-making disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the four main ways of doing that is through God's Word, prayer, community, and serving. What's going to drive that? What's going to drive us to keep doing that? Because it's not easy to carry out God's given mission, is it? We don't find it just happens automatically in our lives. What, what actually happens is we find lots of opposition in many aspects of trying to grow as a disciple. In the evangelism side, we speak to people about Jesus and they don't seem to respond. We find something like evangelism a really hard task with lots of discouragement. Discipling people and growth seems hard. You come alongside somebody and you actually sort of work through God's word and you pray with them. But sometimes it feels like, what, you know, two steps forward, one step backward. Two steps forward, one step backward. It's just hard work. It's just part of discipleship. Our own spiritual growth seems to be sort of ups and downs or levels and wherever. It's hard work. So what's going to motivate us to keep on keeping on? What's going to motivate us to get out of bed each day and be committed to the path of discipleship? When we feel deflated and we feel flat, what's going to keep us staying to the course? of discipleship, of a long obedience in the same direction. You want the answer? Jesus Christ. And that's not the Sunday school answer. You always go, yeah, what's the answer? Yeah, Jesus Christ. It's not a cliche answer. It's actually the truth. It is the truth. That is the motivation that you and I must have to stay the course and joyfully persevere through discipleship. 
probably the highest important us to get this motivation, to get this drive that keeps us going on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need an incredibly powerful, motivating force in our lives to do this. If we have Jesus Christ as our supreme treasure, he will motivate us in the most unusual and glorious ways to stay the path of discipleship and to endure to the end and to do it with joy as well. This is where we see Paul uh, doing this, treasuring Christ in his letter to the Philippians. Look what he says here in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, says Paul, as always, says Paul, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now for me here, it's really clear what, Paul, what, what is driving Paul's life when he speaks like this. He says, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body. Now, right now, and as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Now just in case we don't get it there, Paul repeats it again and makes it a bit simpler in the next verse. He says this, and he says it in a very counterculturally way in verse 21. For to me, to Paul, should be to us as well, for to me, to live is Christ. That's my motivation. That's my drive. That's what keeps me going. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the bit that's really countercultural. No one thinks there's gain in death unless you've met Jesus Christ. And then there is gain in death because you are united with him in perfection. The driving force that carried Paul for the last 30 or 40 years of his life through the agony and the ecstasy of discipleship was Jesus Christ. That was the motivating influence and force in his life. When Paul was ridiculed and rejected and run out of town, which happened on countless occasions in his life, for simply just speaking of Jesus, what did Paul do? He went back to that same Jesus again, filled himself up as best he possibly could on Christ and threw himself back into the discipleship path again. And when Paul was beaten and broken and left for dead, as happened on a number of occasions as well, for the path of discipleship that God had put him on at that particular time of his life, what did Paul do? Paul goes back to the same Jesus Christ to be renewed in his love and passion and joy to stand up again and continue on the path of discipleship. This is the motivating force of Paul. It's like those people who are training for a gold medal in the Olympic Games. It's like it's, for some people, it's six years out. They're, they're not able to make the one in two years' time. They're actually training now for six years' time if you're a fairly young person. They'll go through all the rigours and disciplines of back-breaking and body-breaking training and put themselves through brutal disciplines to get that gold medal. They've got this motivation out there, and that just drives them through all sorts of things. They want to stand on that dais and have that gold medal put around their neck. They'll go through all sorts of difficulty for that. But you see, this is what Paul discovered. What he discovered was Jesus Christ was worth more than a million gold medals. That was the driving force and the driving motivation of Paul. And he puts it here in another way for us later on in Philippians in chapter 3. He says this in verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, I am treasuring Jesus. He's my supreme treasure. The surpassing worth of Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, because he's discovered this treasure in Jesus Christ, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That drives Paul, that motivates Paul. That's why he can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's discovered this powerful motivating force in his life. Everything I do, says Paul, I do for Jesus Christ. Everything I do, says Paul, I do for the glory of Jesus Christ because I've discovered in him the surpassing worth and the supreme treasure that Jesus is. Here's the picture that Paul gets of Jesus where uh, Tom read for us early on there out of Colossians. If we could just grasp this understanding that Paul gets as he actually unfolds who this Christ is. Look at uh, Colossians 1.15. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is God who's entered into our world as a human being. This supreme treasure, this supreme Lord, becomes one of us. Verse 16. For by him, by the supreme treasure, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus has created everything we see. Jesus holds all authority and dominion in the universe. It's all for him. It's all about him. This is the picture that Paul's getting. And he's before all things. In verse 17, he goes on. And he, the supreme treasure, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus supremely rules in everything. There is nothing outside of his control. He is the preeminent and the most glorious being with no compare. There is no comparison to Jesus Christ. This is the revelation, this is the picture that Paul gets of Jesus. This supreme treasure in his life, this surpassing worth that transpires all things. But then Paul goes on to say this in these next couple of verses here to describe Jesus in Colossians. He says in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, so we're still in the treasure of Christ, through this treasure to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, that's us if we're trusting in Christ, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, that's all of us doing evil deeds at some stage in our life. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul makes this magnificent transition right there. He's explaining the wonders of who Jesus Christ is. He is lifting up and exalting who Christ is, the preeminent one, the supreme one. But get the picture of what he's doing here. 
this same one, this same Christ, supreme and preeminent, now becomes one of us, puts himself on the cross so that he can be brutally murdered in our place because of our sins against God. That's a glorious picture. This supreme being who everything in this universe is about him and it's for him becomes one of us and takes on our filth, our sin, our brokenness and is brutally slain on the cross. That's a glorious picture of this Jesus Christ. And he does this so we can be reconciled back to God and Christ and brought back into a relationship with him, connected personally with him, not as some distant being. It's a personal relationship. You see, this is what drove Paul on in discipleship. He had met this supreme being that had carried out this glorious, sacrificial act of love as the sovereign creator of the universe for Paul and for any one of us who put our trust in him. You see, Jesus was at the centre of Paul's life and he motivated Paul onto deep, hard, joyful discipleship in the most difficult of times and places. That's why Paul would say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is what we need. Front and centre of our lives as we refocus to 2019. As we carry out this mission of growing disciples through God's word, through prayer, through community, through serving, with Jesus Christ right in the centre, motivating us and driving us, we will carry out this mission just as God wills for us. We must hold, though, Jesus centrally in our lives. There is no stronger and there is no greater motivation than Christ. If you are trying to um, live the path of discipleship or walk the path of discipleship without Christ as your motivator, let me tell you what will happen. You will fail. You will not last. If you've got any other motivation other than Christ right in the centre, you will not make it. You will not go the distance. Because whatever else you're trying to use to motivate you eventually will fail, where Christ will never fail. So here's my plea for all of us today. Here's my plea for every single person sitting in front of me. Let's commit ourselves to the means of grace that God has given to us with Jesus Christ right in the centre of God's word, prayer community and service and God will grow us as disciples he will grow us with disciples as disciples let me close with this promise here which will hold true Philippians 1 3 to 6 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy says Paul because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And get this next verse. Paul says, and I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this, Paul says. I'm absolutely sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That will happen. Let's pray. 
Father, we uh, come before you today and we thank you for this year that lies ahead of us uh, as Exchange Church, as, as individuals who come together to make up this body of Christ. Uh, Father, we thank you for the mission that you've given to us 2,000 years ago that has not changed and it will not change. It will be the mission until you come and return again. The mission is to be disciple-making disciples, to do this with joy and to do this, Lord, to glorify your holy name. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, you will help us today to commit afresh to these means of grace that you've given to us today. To be committed to your word, to be committed to prayer, to be committed to community, and to be committed to serving with the talents and gifts and abilities that you've given to us. And God, we want to stand on that promise that you've given to us, that he who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. God, because we want Christ absolutely honoured and glorified in this body of people. We want Christ absolutely honoured and glorified in the city of Greater Shepherd. We want Christ absolutely honoured and glorified wherever we are living and whatever contact points we have with people. Today, Lord, I pray you would fill people's hearts with hope that all is not lost. That today that hope can be renewed because you're a faithful, loving, glorious, promise-fulfilling God. Father, today we ask that and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can uh, lead us in a song. If anybody would like some prayer, uh, or catch up with me straight after the service, I'd love to meet you in the front if you wanted to do that.